You're listening to Two Guys, One Album with music insiders Michael Heidemann and Paul Farber. We are two music experts. Green Experts is pushing it. Taking on the greatest albums of all time. Uh, it's a little subjective. Song by song with careful analysis. All right, I wouldn't say careful. Look, we're having fun with the songs. Two guys. One album. so excited for this next album this is a great great day for music we've had a lot of people asking about when we're going to do this that's right it's room for squares is the debut studio album by american recording artist john mayer first released in june of 2001 by aware records and paul do we have someone that is just one of the First guests, and I think one of the greatest guests I think well, we've had on the podcast yet. If we're going to do a big artist, we need to have a big guest. And I know a lot of people wanted to come on to talk about John Mayer, but we figured we would get the guy who signed John Mayer to do the episode of Room for Squares on Two Guys, One Album, mm-hmm. Greg Latterman. Uh, thank you. Greg Latterman from Aware Records. Uh, John Mayer, Room for Squares. What do, you got, what do you got about this? What do you got about this song? Well, how much time do you guys have? <laughs> we are a show that only goes 30 minutes. We right. never, ever, ever go over 30. All right, I'll keep it brief then. That's so, a joke. So, yeah, we often go over 30s. Yeah, so so <laughs> this record has a lot of Chicago roots because one, you know, Aware was based here. Um, and so Chicago has a lot of base to it. And so the the, the the quick story, do you guys want to hear the story of how I signed him first? Sure. Well, let's actually, let's hold on to that for real right, quick. Let's, let's see who the man we're talking to. I mean, we can't let your reputation not precede you. You're not only the the owner, founder of Aware Records, you also are an entrepreneur. You are an academic, an angel investor. You do it all, and you do it all still here in Chicago, huh? Yep. That's incredible. That's incredible. And uh, when you were getting started, this was one of your first, was it, can we say it's like one of your first like finds almost? Train was the first. Okay. Five for Fighting was the second. Oh, Mayor was the third. I love hearing you say those words. Back in, in the day, in 2001, Aware Records was the place to be. Everybody that was anybody in the music industry, we always call ourselves music insiders on the show, jokingly, but legitimately, Aware Records was where that term started, in my opinion. Because I remember 2001, I was in a flailing bands, and I was starting to manage bands, and everybody wanted to be there. And I remember John Mayer, when this album came out, and this song came on, everyone was like, wow. This is going to change music. And it did. Yeah, it truly did. And we're going to dive right into it with Greg. Our rating system, as you all know, is out of the best out of 11 likes. Correct, Paul? That's right, because that's when you can no longer see the names on social media. And it's when you finally made it on social media, when people (laughs) like you 11 times. That's pretty much how it works. (laughs) Okay, so we go song by song with careful analysis, and then we give our rating at the end. Does that make sense, Greg? I'm in. Okay, let's... And 11 is my my lucky number, so... (laughs) So it all worked out. And the first song on this was No Such Thing, which I believe was the first release on this album. Is that right, Greg? It was. It was the first single, yep. And why did you guys choose this one? Um, Because when you're you're putting out a new artist, you want something with a little bit of tempo. Mm -hmm. Um, Wonderland was what we thought was going to be the big song 
um, which we recorded about 25 times before we got it right. <laughs> wow. Um, and I'm not joking. It was a, we, we re-recorded that song over and over again. We never could get actually enough tempo on it. But, but he had played live enough times, including his first show in Chicago opening for Glenn Phillips at Shuba's. Um, and when he'd play Wonderland, people would freak out. You didn't know who he was. Yeah. Like, you could just see people's faces. So we're like, that's the song, but we got to get there. So we felt the best way to get there was to go with the song that had more tempo and more upbeat. Honestly, I, no such thing outperformed way farther than we thought. Mm-hmm. And and what was the what was the catalyst to, to the song, I guess, uh, coming to your attention and making it the first release? Well... How did I sign John then? Well, I mean, if that's how, if that's where we're going to get to, yeah. Let's so, do it. so he had put out um, a record, an EP on his own, right. called "Inside Wants Out," um, and a couple of these songs were on there, like "Why Georgia," um, couple, "Neon" was Neon on there. Was on there, yeah. Um, and I got that from his lawyer and heard it. My office at the time was in, was at Adams and Ashland. Um, which I wish I would have bought that building because it would have sold for about ten million now. <laughs> is that where Cobra Lounge is now? Yeah, it's it's like Adams, but it's right, but it's literally Adams before Ashland. Okay, gotcha. Um, you got to look forward; you can't look back. Yeah, no, no, I'm gonna do. It's all good. But uh, <laughs> but I I heard it when our office was there through John's lawyer, and if you've ever heard Inside Once Out, he doesn't. You don't hear his guitar playing, so I didn't know he could play guitar like that. So I. I called his lawyer and said, I love this guy's voice. I love his lyrics. I love his melodies. Um, can I fly him in? That's how I used to sign bands. I didn't care how good you were live. I cared about seeing you in front of me and did I like you. You would have them play for you, right? Yeah, in have them play for me. Yeah, yeah. And, and I was like, you know what? If you hustle, if you, know, if, if you want this really bad and you're willing to hustle and you're that good, we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of my thing. So he literally flew into Chicago, came to our, our, our loft in the West Loop, I had pizza, and I invited like 25 people over. Deep dish or just thin crust? Just thin crust. Okay. Deep dish. And uh, and John played for 22. Literally, he walked in the door, and I'm like, like get to work. You're going to play in front of a bunch of people. He's like, okay. And, and within like half of the first song, I was like, my jaw was on the ground because I didn't know he could play guitar like that. Right. So, so once he finished, he's like, what did you think? And I'm like, dude, this is, I'm, we're done. Like, we're going to. If, if you want to sign with me, we're going to kill this. I know exactly what to do. You're the right guy at the right time. We've mm-hmm. built up this amazing, you know, rep system. Like, like people, everything that we've done has been done for you. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you existed. So wow. when he played for you, though, was he, was he, was just him and his acoustic oh, guitar yeah. or did he bring his electric? Oh, no, no, no. Just him with acoustic. There's... He was like sitting on a you know folding chair in my office because uh, you know Jeez. his guitar skills don't really show up. I mean, unless you oh, see him live and you see that he can he can jam on an electric guitar. Yeah, but you see it on acoustic though. It was right, right. It was ridiculous. Okay. So. Yeah. And then and then he literally stayed with me all weekend in my house in Evanston, and we we kind of argued and talked and argued and talked, and kind of came to a, a sense came to like a conclusion of, um, you can be an artist. But you got to meet my commerce, and if you if you listen enough, you'll be the biggest artist in the world. And he and he had not gotten signed by other people because he didn't listen to anyone else. And I said, you can do whatever you want, but you got to listen enough to play the game, and I'll help you do that. And he's like, by the end of the weekend, he trusted me and he saw my track record, and he's like, I know I all I want to do is play play songs, play my guitar, and have people come show up. 
Wow. Let's dive into the next song. Song number two. You mentioned this before. It's Why Georgia. This was on Inside, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you were talking about how he lived with you for a little bit. What was his demeanor like? Why wasn't he listening to these other artists and what made him listen to you? Well, he just stayed with me for the weekend, but he was in his own world. He, he grew up without a big social base of friends and people. He, he literally, as he, as he told me when I met him, he's like, I worked at a mobile station so I could buy an electric guitar and something else I'm not going to say in the air. <laughs> and, um, and he would go in his room and practice guitar all day. And he's like, I didn't go to prom because I sat in my room playing the set I would have played at prom. So when you hear No Such Thing, No Such Thing is his song about going back to his high school. Can we swear? Yeah. And saying, fuck you. Right. That's what No Such Thing was. Yeah, he said, I can't wait till my 10-year reunion. And by the way, he wasn't famous yet. Right. He, he literally, you know, our record deal was paying off his credit card debt mm-hmm. and buying him a van and enough money for the first record. Mm-hmm. That was his deal. It's incredible. And I remember growing up and listening to that song for the first time. I was in high school, and I, and everyone just connected to that song right from the get-go because there's nothing more lyrical that just cuts right to the core than you want to bust through the double doors because everyone wants to go back to that 10-year reunion and just say, hey, look what I've done here. And he mentioned the fact that not many people know his guitar playing. Holy smokes, if you're a 16-year-old kid and you were trying to play No Such Thing, that's a tough song to play. Yeah. A lot of tough chords. you got to stretch those fingers. It, and, and by the way, if you listen to the first record, he doesn't solo on it. Yeah. Oh. And, and And he and I, like, I tried to push him, and he's like, no, I'm not doing that. He's like, I want people to come to my shows, and then, see me, just like you did, and then go, oh. And I'm like, that was genius. Because he was right. Like, because it ended up being, like, his secret sauce, like his extra unfair advantage he had over everybody else. Yeah, because he has a singer, he has a songwriting ability, and you, like you said, when you first heard him, you didn't know he could play guitar, and you don't see that until you, see, like, see it live. And I was fortunate enough to see him when he was rising every time he'd come, because uh, a good friend of mine went to Berkeley School of Music with him, so he'd always be like, hey, yeah. let's go hang out with John. And it was so fun. You'd be like, wow, this guy's the real deal. He opens up on the records after that, but the first one and part of heavier things like you don't hear it so what about why georgia you this was already um We'd recorded already it, yeah and then what happened when you put it on room for squares yeah, so, i mean we it was totally re-recorded and 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 john was actually excited to re-record the songs from that he did on the ep because he did those really simple like i think it was with him and a buddy um recorded him so he was excited to like literally have those songs come to life the way he heard them and like stretch them a bit mm-hmm. and that uh, that a lot to do with john alasia too right yeah and alasia took them and really expanded them and i mean i think why george ended up being the third single mm-hmm. um and it's it's absolutely a crowd favorite especially oh, it's a great song. In, in parts of the south anyone that knows atlanta at all um people like sing every word to it it's one of those easy songs to, to understand the lyrics yeah it, it, it gets you right from the from the t- song title now I've never been able to ask this, this to anybody because we haven't had any people who actually were there for a, an album's inception. But how important is the song structure on an album? Like, it's not so much important these days because you're getting the singles and everything. But back when you were selling the full album, uh, did you take uh, time to be like, we need to put no such thing, the single on top, and then and go into oh, yeah. it with? Uh, okay, I, I'd say where I add the most value. If I add value, you'd have to ask John or any of my artists. Is I obsess over the sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
And it's too bad not enough people do that anymore, you know? I, I could probably tell you if I really think back, like why, and, like, and once again, John had absolute control over the sequence, but I probably made several sequences, at least for the first record. After that, he took full control, but the first record, I probably, I mean, I'm like, let's go with the first song, because back in the day, if you're, you know, at Tower Records and you're on a... Um, those listening booths. A listening yeah, booth that's try right. You want them those. to listen to the first song. Mm-hmm. So our whole thing was, if we only get one song, we want them to play the single. Mm-hmm. That's a genius. Yeah. I, I didn't even think about and you got that. And you can't do, uh, you couldn't put your body as a wonderland to nope. start off because of the tempo, right? Yeah, and we wanted people to get to know John first and like kind of, and, and by the way, John was also careful. He didn't want people to know him only as a ballad as well, so it was important to put a little tempo in front of that. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a driving force. It's just it's you're taking the listener on a ride almost with yep. this album. I, I, I want we want to have like an arc, mm-hmm. just like it, it's a film. You mm-hmm. can't just have a straight line. So you got to go up and down and up and down. But there's got to be like and, and when we get to the end, I'll, we'll talk about. It that. feels like a movie. For well, sure. Let's dive into song number three, "My Stupid Mouth." Now this was also this was on um, um, Inside, right? Yeah, and if I remember right, this was the song that caught me. Like this was the first song um, that I heard when I was listening to the EP, going, "Oh, I love this guy." Mm-hmm. So for me, it was. I think this was the one that pulled me in. If I remember right. And he wrote all these songs by himself too, structurally, or what? Is there was, was there more yeah, inside? There, I mean, pretty much he wrote by himself, and and I. I don't know, but I think Clay Cook, there's a couple of people that wrote some of the early songs. He actually was an acoustic duo coming out of Berkeley. I think mm-hmm. it was with Clay. Right. So some of those early songs were, were written together. Um, and John co-writes with people, but for the most part. And you know, a lot yeah. of people, you know, shit on artists that, that do really well, you know, and, and stuff like Maroon 5, I'd put in this category too. But like, when you don't listen to this album, like I have not heard My Stupid Mouth in at least 10 years. It and holds up. It still holds up. Like just listening to it right now, I'm like, I was like, oh, I was, I was waiting because we always have one al- song that we don't like on the album and we have, we have a pass that we can do. Yeah, we have the power to skip on this podcast. Yeah, but uh, I, I thought that was going to be the one, but it's not. And we so. recorded and I actually was looking for it. I couldn't find it and I have it somewhere but um because i videotaped a lot of making this record and mm-hmm. we made it at john alasia's parents cottage in uh somewhere in maryland on the chesapeake but it was it wasn't fancy and, and, and john would literally wake up and i have him videos of him like playing guitar and singing in his boxer shorts and t-shirt and it was literally him uh the engineer is John Giuliano, who's now a massive mixer in the country world. Mm-hmm. He engineered it. John was a producer, and it was just the three of them. And we'd fly people. We'd fly the bass guy. You know, we'd fly people in and out. Like we did drums somewhere else, but we did all the basics at his his parents' house to save money. Yeah, it looks like you have a little bit of production here. You mentioned Jeff uh, or John Giuliano, uh, Jack Joseph Puig, uh, Scott Hull, this mastering John Mark Painter. Dan Fallon, Alex Fallon, and Joshua. Well, that's when we get to the the remix. Oh. So the initial record that we made with 12 songs mm-hmm. was all John Alasia. Wow. So we'll talk about the evolution. Difference. Okay. okay. Well, we'll get to the next song, which is uh, probably one of the most popular songs of that decade. Uh, at least one of them. Your body, body is a wonderland. Now, did did you hear? Was there folklore that this song was about Jennifer Love Hewitt? Did, am I am I just making that up, or was that just? Well, I don't want to get into much of John's <laughs> personal life. It was, if it was, it was only about the fantasy of oh, her. Okay, but okay. he did date her 
after it became a hit. You know, once if you put it out there, sometimes positivity kind of flows you in that direction. Good for him. So yeah, so maybe it was his thinking. I, I never heard that personally, but he did date her after because it was a hit. I did hear that. I did hear that it was about her, but before or after you, Paul. I no. <laughs> I've only seen her once at a Dodgers game. Well, she's now on uh, Chicago Fire or PD. She's on one of the Chicago shows now. Uh, really? Yeah, I was so on she's Chicago actually living here now. Med, so I probably run into her on the set. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this song. People make fun of John Mayer for this song, but it still holds up. Mm-hmm. You can't mm-hmm. make, you know, I have a joke about my body being a Wonderland when I was younger, and uh, and now being Homeland, but. That was based on John Mayer, and his, <laughs> he is, and this song was so good. And even, and guys would probably not want to admit to liking it, but secretly every guy listened to it and wanted to learn how to play it on guitar. Mm-hmm. I, I think like one of my favorite moments of people are just like, like you know, did, what did you really enjoy? And honestly, I, I think most of the time I was in the music business, I was just trying to break my bands. And I was just hustling so hard, but watching John at the Grammys do "Your Body's a Wonderland." when no one really knew who he was and I was like in the fourth or fifth row with like the chairman of Sony like once again I didn't have any of this glory moments so I don't want to you know sound like a big ego guy but like all the hip hop dudes were in front of us and John started John comes out like he's like by himself with an acoustic guitar standing like five feet from the front of the stage after everyone had these massive and it was just him with an acoustic and everyone's like who's this white guy what's he gonna do and he started playing guitar, and like by the end of the song, all the all the hip hop people in the front row were going crazy. They, and that was like That's John's awesome. like coming out party to me. It was like it's now like now it's spreading outside our little pop rock world. Um, and he just owned that song. And even though it's a ballad, mm-hmm. it was so powerful the way he played it, and, and just had that emotion coming out of him. That it ended up being, I thought like like that was his moment when he kind of that was like the launching point. That's where John, Jennifer Love Hewitt probably saw him too. Sure. <laughs> well, he, also the fact that like you said, it's pop and uh, it transcends. You know, people in other genres, you can't deny a, a song that's a hit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or with something with a with a with a hook like this. something. It, it, that's the best thing about music. No matter who you are, where you're coming from, if you hear that song and it just touches you in the right way or just tickles you in that special place, um, it's. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> it, what? It makes that it makes that difference. You can feel music. It's just it's something that we all are connected by. I'm and it's just sounds that are just coming from an instrument, like a wood instrument. It's it's truly great. And you're right. He did. Uh, he accepted that Grammy for this song. Best Male Pop Vocal Performance in 2003. So obviously there was something behind this. It's it's one of the greatest songs, especially one of the greatest ballads in the last, what, 20 yeah. years? You can't shit on it. Mm-mm. So you're saying you're not going to skip this song, Paul? No, I can't. Okay. I still like it. I mean, we already listened to it, and people, people are probably pissed that we're talking over it. Oh. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I haven't heard this in a while. But we got to go to the next song. All right, let's go into it. It's This the- is Neon, number five. Another song that was on the... The EP. Yep. Another. I mean, it's it's it. It was actually you know another song that everyone loves. It's a little. If there is a cheesier song on purpose, it's cheesy. It's called Neon. So that's the John Mayer. He just takes it head on. Um, but good tempo. You know. I didn't like this song when it came out. I'm going to tell you that right now, Greg. But um, I still don't like it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> But is there a story behind why you told them to keep it? This is the one that was on the, like you said, on the EP. Because live people loved it. 
Yeah. He, it's kind of like a slap, like a, it's also like a bass slap song. So it's mm-hmm. one of those songs live funkier. in the early days. You have to remember, John toured just by himself. And then he, he never took tour support. So we bought him a van. And he'd sell so many CDs at shows. If he played for 150 people at Shubas, he'd sell 300 CDs. Right. Like, no one's ever multiplied, right? Like, you guys know artists, right? Like, yeah. if you sold, yeah. like, 20% back in the day, you'd be like, yes. He would, like, double. Because people would buy two and three. Yeah. Every time. And, and shirts and everything. I remember seeing him at House of Blues just he'd sell out. getting slammed. He would, he, And he would sit back there and sell his own merch, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just connect with the fans that way. So, I, l- yeah. I love that. His first tour was opening for Glenn. So when he, when we were making this record, we wanted to get his tour base going. He had stuff going in Birmingham and, and uh, in Atlanta because he was living in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So so whenever we could, he'd fly out and play dates opening for Glenn Phillips, who, who we managed. And when originally we thought it was going to be like a tour support thing, he would literally sell so many CDs, he would just pay for his ticket and put money in his pocket. So he never took any money. And then he bought a van for, you know, the first tour. And it was just him with a tour manager. And then him with a bass player, David Labriere. Mm-hmm. And then once he made, but he, he would always, he was like, it was really, he wanted, he really wanted to do it himself and always make enough money. Then we added a, a drummer. It was a three piece. Right. And so if, if you watched, if you saw John in the early days, it was literally every time you saw him, they added something. Well, the first time I remember seeing him was at Shubas by himself. Yeah. And then he came back and did the House of Blues shows with the duo, with the bass. Yep. But it was funny because it was a sold out show yeah. and House of Blues is a huge room and there's no percussion really. I mean, yeah. the bass, but he would, he had them in their hand. He had oh, yeah. everyone in their hands within the first song. It was yep. pretty insane. And then, like you said, he'd go out afterwards and sell merch and I mean, there'd be lines of people just waiting. Yep. You don't see that for anyone. Yep. Mm-hmm. Not 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 today. I mean, there's not that that similar connection because a lot of the artists today, they're, and I I know we we talked about this so much that it's almost cliche, but a lot of people are from YouTube's and uh, mm-hmm. and they go up there and they think that they're the greatest band and they have security when they don't even have a real fan base outside of the digital realm. So to see him connecting with these with these fans, especially way back when, he seems like the real deal. I'm actually yeah. the more I'm listening to this album and hearing these stories, I'm liking John Mayer more and more and more. Well, I mean, it was fun. I, I I talk about when we hang out with him after shows, and and I have a joke kind of about it as well, a story about him. Of I expected like this. I was like back then, and Greg, I met you like you don't remember, but I met you back in 2003 when I was managing bands and playing in bands. Um, so for those of you who don't believe that, it, it was a true story. Uh, you made Dan Dara come and play yeah, over Dan, yeah. Your shag carpeting all over your your office, but um. What I was excited about back then was I was just getting into the music industry, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to my first after party with John Mayer. There's going to be hookers and blow, and it's going to be all this crazy shit. Mm -hmm. And he was just like this laid-back guy. I was the only person drinking... In this whole party of his his crew, which was pretty small back when he was he doing House of Blues, he didn't drink that at all. He didn't drink he at all. Drinking wine after that, you know. They were playing video things. games. They were playing video games. I'm like, yeah. this is this is the worst rock star experience I've ever had in my life. That was all my bands. <laughs> did you? Did but you? He was down to earth. He was super cool and everything. Did you make a, a a point to have them not drink and kind of focus on their craft rather than get involved in the typical rock and roll classic stuff of drinking and drugs and. I just didn't want to put up with that. And maybe I was lucky enough to like, I mean, my whole thing was I only want to work with bands that, that I would want to be a part of mm-hmm. my family and be a part of our family. Mm-hmm. So every band we signed slept at my house before I signed them. Like John did, like all of them did. Wow. And, and to me it was, 
like I said, to me, the big, I do it now with entrepreneurs. It's like, it's about the, you have to have talent, but you have to have hustle. Mm-hmm. You have to want it and you have to be not, you have to be a good person because there is a game to play. It doesn't matter how good you are, or what you've done. Like you have to get along with people enough. And so my, my whole test was like, Hey, do I like you? Do you like me? And if not, let's not do this. And so I, we also built a really big management company and I, I had, we managed a lot of big bands, but like there were many meetings I'd go in for management and halfway through, I, I'd be like, who are you talking to? And they'd tell me, I'm like, you should just go with them. And like, no one's ever said that to us before. I'm like, well, I, I'm not going to do this. Like, I, I don't feel a connection with you. So the, and I didn't sign a lot of bands. So the bands that we signed, and I was talking to someone about this the other day, like the album cycles that didn't go well, mm-hmm. I'm as proud of as this one. Because we eked out a two and a half years or three years of, of touring momentum when no one else cared. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's real work. It's not hard when it works. Mm-hmm. Like that's fun. Yeah. But but we got we have artists that are doing that have successful careers because we grinded through it. Wow. Let's, gotta, let's gotta, dive into the next song real quick. City you gotta, love. You gotta love what you're doing. You gotta love the city. <laughs> oh, did I step all over yeah, your intro right. to that? Sorry, Paul. <laughs> now this was not on the original. What's she, the story on this song? So city John, love. this this was I. I could be wrong. I think it was the second to last song written for this album, and and we had a meeting. And there's a documentary that you can get online that that is like John Alasia, his manager Michael McDonald at the time, myself, like we're sitting in John Alasia's apartment going through the song, what's going to make the record, and City Love was like a last second one, and it was so new. Um, John ended up using John Alasia's girlfriend's name at the time, Lydia, to finish the song. Huh. So, so Lydia, if you listen to the song, he, he says, Lydia, that's the girl in the thing. It just happened to be Elijah's girlfriend. And so when he heard that, he's like, oh, that's the name I'll use. And, and it ended up like finishing the song. Oh, it sounds like something that would be in a soundtrack. Did it ever get picked up in a soundtrack? I don't know if we did or not on this one. But by the way, you're talking about like the tempo, like like neon was like a big up thing. And, and then it kind of like comes down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then that was track picking that you did? You were involved I, in it? You know what? I... Once again, I'm not going to take credit for anything John Mayer does, but I have to assume that between Lee Denae, who ain't out of the record with me, like I'm sure we were, like I said, we were making cassettes and, and handing back and forth. So hope, hopefully, we 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 had some help with this. But John had such a vision for this album, I I wouldn't take that away, yeah, or take any credit. Y- huh. You were talking about uh, if you had any bands that kind of slipped away like there were some bands you didn't want to work with do you have any bands you're looking back and you said ah, dang I wish I would have worked with uh, Aerosmith or Chumbawamba at the time because that would have been great for the label no because like if if you go back we, we I started by doing compilations of unsigned bands mm-hmm. so I got to be a part of so many bands like lives and careers without having to like manage them or sign them mm-hmm. so like Mooney the Blowfish to like Jack Johnson Jack Johnson's the one that like I would have loved to sign because I think he's just a, the greatest guy in the world and mm-hmm. the coolest guy but he couldn't have I couldn't bring him to Columbia Records because of what he he didn't want to make videos and stuff and he ended up signing at Republic with Monty and Avery Lipman who are the perfect people for his career um, so I wish I could have been a part of Jack's career but it wouldn't have worked where I was yeah oh is that is that why when he makes music videos they're always just him sitting in surfing some guy, surfing sitting well, on a rock somewhere them. originally he wasn't gonna make any but huh but well, I mean, those compilation CDs were amazing. I mean, there's yeah. so many artists that you like got, Matchbox Twenty, you guys broke on there, we, yeah. So it was a way for me to to be involved without having to live it. Because, like I said, I the artists that we signed, 
I wanted to go, cr- I mean, we didn't sign many bands. We just didn't. And I remember back in the day, Blue was an artist you guys oh, yeah. work with. And I, to this day, still listen to Blue. I mean, that album, Bluetopia, uh, was it Bluetopia? Was it? I guess Bluetopia. He's, he's, in, so he's, in, he's in L.A. making a living as a songwriter. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, let's go to the next uh, number seven, 83. Let's hear a little bit about this. I don't even remember what the song goes. You know what it's about? 1987. It's about the year John Mayer was born. <laughs> oh, man. That makes sense. Behind the album. All right. Is So let's talk about the album for a little bit. So did you, when, when you're helping the artist put together the uh, the panel and the disc itself, first of all, who is this photo of? Is this John? That's John, yeah. Cartoon photo of John Mayer on, on the back Child. of the disc cassette. And that was like one of his one of his biggest T-shirts to this day is that. Yeah. I, okay, I can remember that image now. Now, did you help him with this? Were you like, John, you know, maybe you shouldn't put a picture of your baby self in the... No, I, we thought it was pretty cool. But like, I mean, the, the original Aware stuff is super simple. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Natkin, famous photographer, Chicago good photographer, mine, yeah. who we absolutely love and support. Uh, did all the art did all the photos mm-hmm. and I I can tell you to this day I think John still invites him to every show like he is he's been very very supportive of Paul wow. Paul's um, a great uh, supporter yeah, of music in Chicago he, he's the best so so literally this original artwork I think we had like a five thousand dollar budget or something so we did a, you know we had Paul do the photo shoot I guarantee you the the photos that if you can see the original aware cover mm-hmm. those were probably taken at the Shuba's photo booth I'm oh betting. nice you yeah. don't say I bet you yeah right here I got it on the on the original copy I'm gonna bet you that um, so here, this, just the, it was a super simple artwork um, because what we decided to do was to put this out mail order and in indie stores over the summer while we set up the big major label push Jeez, yeah a lot of work goes into creating this album how many how much time do you think you can estimate that went into just putting out this album? Were, were you feeling like this is this is one of those artists that you should put a little extra work into? No, dude, I did was, with every artist. Yeah. I didn't sign that many artists. And so what happened was Train's first album we put out independently, mm-hmm. worked it for a year and a half, second single Meet Virginia took off. Two years, two and a half years in, we moved it to Columbia. So that first Train record took four years. While we were doing that, everyone got excited about Five for Fighting and said... Let's just put it out on Columbia. We got this. Did 400 the first week. Died. We grinded it for two years. Superman, second single, became a hit. Ended up selling two million albums. Same with Train's first record. So we got to John Mayer. I'm like, I don't trust anybody. (laughs) Sorry, Columbia. I love you. Don't trust you. Same thing with, with John and John's management. And, and, and John's team was like, once again, sounds cocky. It was like the super team, like agent, manager, lawyer, all of us were really good friends, but we'd never worked on one thing from in the product manager, all from the start. Mm-hmm. So this was like the most exciting thing. So we, we we fought and talked about every detail of anything. That's so cool. And John was absolutely in charge, but he knew he had this team of people, publicists, everybody like had his best interest and nothing would be done without his say. But all of us would like... Fight. Like, like everyone had been involved with other things that were similar, mm-hmm. and everyone had this feeling of like this is the one. So, Jeez. how much time we put into it, I did, it didn't matter. Like we just lived it. Yeah, yeah. 
That's incredible. It's incredible to hear these stories because you, you right now you look back at John Mary and you see him today and you're like, oh, he was he must have had this from the start. You, you never think about all the immense amount of work and all the people that go into creating such a amazing artist. You know, it's it's you often forget about the people who are actually putting in the blood, sweat, and tears to make somebody great. I mean, to to light that candle of a, of a talent is only so much. You need that right kind of team behind you. And, and Greg, it sounds like you just blasted well, him off in outer space. Yeah, you guys had a great team. Uh, Reed Hunter was a lawyer, and uh, I remember him, and Mike McDonald, who's still doing great things. Scott Clayton, Clayton, the yeah. agent's now one of the biggest agents in the world. Yeah, it's so funny. They all kind of got... Uh, Got start not started, but basically this this made it happen. Next song, number eight, "Love Song for No One," which is my favorite song on this album. All right, so I have three times five. Now this am I am I? You're you're remix? looking at the Columbia one. Okay. Oh, okay. How three by five did not exist on the original record. Oh, let me burn this album real quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so this is three. That's the the you you that's have so, the deluxe copy. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Love songs for no one. We're just you know I picked the song to skip. Three times five. Who okay. needs it? Brings us to our next song, which is uh, my favorite song on the album. Love Song for No One. Love Songs for No One. Love Song. Now you're saying, Greg, this is a song. Can you hear it now? Yeah. I just feel like this... Perfect song. It's like a, a nod to the '80s in a way. Just really personal for you. Yeah. No. Sitting uh, alone on a Friday. <laughs> Perhaps. Maybe that's why I liked it so much. But, but I always thought it was going to be a hit song, and, and uh, it never was. Yeah, I don't want to get the nuances of how you break a song or bore the audience, but it would have been hard. Is it because of the tempo being similar to? Uh, well, we had to go to AAA no, first. Yeah. His audience was top 40, but you can't start there. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So we had to find a bridge to get to top 40, which took a long time. And this was also not on... Or wait, was this on the EP? I don't think so. No. He's got an acoustic version of it somewhere. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, this is this is the the, four, the best song on the album, in my opinion. This is So this was your favorite? Yeah, yeah. Played on repeat? All day, all night. On a Friday night. <laughs> I like it. You know, it it's it's interesting because we're I'm rediscovering this album, like going through it, like I do most of our albums on the podcast, and I don't know. It, it, sometimes I feel like some songs would work in different decades or different years, like depending on what's going on in the world. I feel like this song would work today. Yeah. I mean, it's not it's not as bad as that U two album that we <laughs> we we talked about a few. I, ju- years I, ago. I have not heard this song again. This is one of those things where you I haven't heard this song in over ten years and it still holds up. So, you want to dive into it back goes to you? back to back to you? Yeah. Aw, Paul, that was so sweet of you. Here we are. So, what's the story on this song, Greg? I'm pretty sure this was on Inside Once Out, but it, it's another just like really comfortable like to me this is like it's a nice foggy day put your nice sweater on and read a book and have a glass of wine it's like you yeah know. you know there's something about the vibe you created with this album 
It's uh, they all the songs are so clean and crisp. It's just great musicianship built with great lyrics. Um, did you have like a mission statement when you were creating this album, Room for Squares? Like, was there an idea? I'm just laughing because now I teach entrepreneurship at Northwestern, <laughs> and you know, I don't I don't think I had any mission statements when I was making albums with artists. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think I think the whole goal was. You know, John had spent his whole life thinking about this first album, mm-hmm. like being released and, and hopefully the world hearing it. So we just wanted to, honestly, our, everyone involved on his team was like, we just want to do everything we can to make sure this gets out the way you want. Mm-hmm. And I, the whole, the whole, the whole plan was pretty simple. It was like, we're going to buy you a van. There's no time limit. So as long as you don't. As long as we get a new fan every single day, every time you play a show, mm-hmm. we're gonna win, and we're not gonna worry about radio right now. We're just gonna, we're just gonna we just want to gain fans, and this, you know, MySpace was around, so so we got a little lucky with the digital social media. So his, we were able to get his following happening fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, it was like as I say to people, like if if you look at like where it crossed between digital and analog, like. We were gaining fans faster than we would have because of digital, but we were still selling albums. Mm-hmm. So it was like we had analog going with digital, and John Mayer was at peak. Like 0203 was like that perfect, like, talk about like when I managed the fray. The analog started going down by then mm-hmm. in 06, 07. It was the perfect time. Yeah, being in the smallest suburb in Illinois or even the, the deepest, farthest town, you knew this guy's name. I mean, the way that you guys crafted this marketing campaign around him, he I mean, he didn't need it because he had the talent, yes, but no one was going around and who didn't know John Mayer at the time. He was like, he, every girl loved him, every guy wanted to be him at that time, which is yeah. something to say. Like, like I said, honestly, when I, when, when I first saw him play, I'm like, we were we this company that we've created and all the people we had 5,000 college reps were like everyone is going to get who you are and what you're doing mm-hmm. and honestly our whole goal is just to support you mm-hmm. and, and, and not not let timing matter so if it takes a little longer who cares yeah yeah. But you guys had such, you had this college rep program, which wouldn't, sadly, wouldn't work today. Because working with bands, you know, you guys all, everyone bought into this Aware Records, which is a great concept of getting everybody to help out. Hey, go put up some posters, go do this, go do that. And it all worked because everyone's on the same team. Now it's so hard with everybody, with, with digital in a way, like you said, everyone's like, oh, I'll just I'll just post about it or I'll put it on Facebook. No one's like doing the grunt well, work that's required. It worked really well because we'd sell them CDs for $5 and they'd sell them for 10 and 15 Right. Mm-hmm. So that's why it really worked. Like they love the music, but they're also making make their beer money off of actually being excited. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there one artist out there specifically that you think is doing the um, just the whole plan correctly? Today? Uh, yeah, today. I'm, that's why I'm not in the music business. He's out. <laughs> <laughs> he checked out. Probably Kanye West is my opinion. Is doing it right? That was me talking, not Greg. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to get backlash. This is great outdoors. Great like I think this is like just Indoors. a fun. This is just a fun song, mm-hmm. you know. Another. Yeah. That's why it's on the back of the record. It's like, hey, this, this, this record's been great. I need to chill out for a minute, you know. Yeah, you could put this whole album in pretty much, except for Neon, and uh, it'll be great. It's a great <laughs> album. 
This was not on the EP, right? This is something you no, wrote this was new. remember in the studio with John Mayer, um, was there anything specific that he needed? Was he was he more of like a hoagie sandwich kind of guy and soda pop, or was he? What did he need to create? We we are in Easton, Maryland. I just remembered it, mm-hmm. and the only restaurant was like an Applebee's. So I don't. I, I actually think our budget for <laughs> for their food, they probably went and got like bologna, and I get like John Alasia is the greatest guy in the world and he's so focused mm-hmm. I was just with him a couple weeks ago and they probably went and bought like I'm not joking some cereal some cold cuts and they didn't even worry about food they just had enough because they, they were they were like working 20 hours a day wow focused yeah is, is there a good I mean while we have you in the hot seat I guess I could ask these questions that I've always wanted to ask uh is there a certain time of day that works best for some of these artists? It, it, morning, night, or does, does it just depend Usually on the night. creativity? Almost everyone, like, their voice. But by the way, most good studios, which this wasn't, doesn't matter because, like, you could be at some of the studios in New York and L.A. and it feels like it's 2 in the morning so dark, the whole yeah. time. Mm-hmm. But, like, most of the time people do their best at night like because they're just their vocals are warmed up and, mm-hmm. like, they're, they're just more alert. So most people sing vocals later than that. Okay. So they can be themselves. Speaking of which, the next song is uh, Not Myself, <laughs> number 11. I don't even remember this song. Suppose I said I want my best I have zero recollection of this song. Has this always been on the album? <laughs> it has. Is this your favorite song, Greg? I, once again, I, I, when, of the sequence of the record, I loved when this came on. Because, like, 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 to me, it's a movie, right? Like, I've, I've had a great time. This is awesome. It's almost over. Nearing mm-hmm. the end, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Keep me, keep me entertained a little bit more, and I'm good. And so... To me, once again, I thought it was the perf- perfect second to last song. Yeah, it is kind of. It does have a feeling of the ending. Yeah, coming through. It's setting up, which I think is honestly, I think the, the last song on this album is like the best last song on any album. Let's play it. Let's dive right into it. Yeah, so, St. Patrick's Day. I, you know, I, I just for a second, can I just say this is taking me back. I remember sitting at a bonfire with my friends, and this was like the perfect soundtrack for just hanging out with your buddies and and just looking back and and being like, wow, you know, high school is going by so fast, man. Seventeen What's going years on? ago. <laughs> Seventeen years ago. Yeah, that's insane. So, so let me tell. So basically, we were sitting around in John Lee's apartment, and John goes, "I think I wrote another one." And he picked up his guitar and he played this song. Why is it called St. Patrick's Day? He says it. That's uh, it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, but no Lydia story? Yeah, no, when he played this, we're like, that is how you end this record. 
done. Mm-hmm. Like put a put a bow around it. We're done. Why was there only twelve songs? Why wasn't there thirteen? Yeah, we must know. No, that's on the next one. That's on the next one. So, so oh, the deluxe, you mean? Yes, right. Not the deluxe. So this was just this was meant to be put out independently through us mm-hmm. to 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 mitigate what happened with Five for Fighting. Mm-hmm. We wanted to do the hybrid in between what we do with Train, which we worked the record for two years by ourselves, right? So we're like, let's, let's, we know what we have here and we need to probably remix this and, mm-hmm. and do better artwork. So instead of just wasting the next three or four months, I said, let me do, let me do this. I got it. Mm-hmm. And we had a really good, um, so Don Van Cleve and Scott Register in Birmingham, Alabama, who are coming to our aware show in a couple, in two weeks. Mm-hmm. They, they, uh, started something called the Indie Coalition. So they connected all the indie stores in the country. It still mm-hmm. exists. So they're like, give us this record. Give us 15,000. I think, I think we gave them 15,000 and I did 10,000 of mail order and we sold them out in two months. And so so we did 25,000 of these. I mean, John Hand signed probably 5,000. So we people knew that. Like we just made it super special. And then as we were working this over the summer and John was touring, we were re- we, we we did the artwork from scratch mm-hmm. for the Columbia Aware release, and we're like, how do we make this record so we can get a lot of the people that bought the original one want to buy the new one? Mm-hmm. How do we create enough value that they're going to buy this one and be excited that they had the original one and the new one? And so, with that thought, the artwork was easy, right? We're going to do better artwork, for, for, but we think, and John started talking about John's like, you know. I think we can make this bigger and better sounding. So mm-hmm. so I was friends, I think I can take the credit for this, with Jack Joseph Puig, who I'd done a lot of stuff with. Mm-hmm. So I introduced John to to Jack. Elijah probably knew him too, but um, in lead and A with me. And we ended up having Jack take over the record and like re, and like mix the whole thing. He added a little production. And in, in the midst of that, John wrote a new song called Three by Five. And as we were talking about what do we do, John's like, I kind of want to add another song. We're like, yeah, that 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 plays into this whole value proposition of, mm-hmm. of having more. And so when we did that, that would have made the 13th track. Mm-hmm. And I was really superstitious back then. And like <laughs> everything had gone so well. And I, 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 I'm like, I freaked out. I'm like, no, we can't have 13 tracks. <laughs> and we started talking about it. And I think John or someone was like, there's a lot of buildings that don't have 13 right, you know, floors. So we're like, done. There's no 13th track. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then, so there's no 13th track. And my favorite story of someone asking me this was uh, the next Grammys when John was up for Daughters. Um, John, oh, what was the host's name? Late night guy that's retired now. John. Uh, uh, Olive Stewart? John Stewart. John, Stewart. Mm-hmm. John Stewart's a massive mayor fan. And mm-hmm. so I was with a friend of he is and a friend of mine and we start, he and he was the host that year of the Grammy. So we're backstage at the Grammys that year. He starts asking me about everything about this record. And John was with me. He's like, Why why are there only why is there no thirteenth track? And John goes, Talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> Points to you. Points to me. And I told him, he goes, Makes sense. I go, it worked. Now I'm not superstitious anymore, by the way, because of that. I'm I'm good now. Okay. I, I still am. I don't if someone has uh, twelve likes on something on Instagram or Facebook, I won't be the thirteenth like. That's just the way it works. Which brings us to our rating system. The rating Time system. Time to rate the album. Uh, I'm very excited. This was I, I to be honest, I 
love the album now. Uh, I teared up a few times during the stories. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it means a lot that you that you joined us here today, Greg, because we've never had somebody so engrossed into an album. A real we, music insider. Yes, you are our, our first real music insider in the show. We've had fans. But um, but we're very excited. I'm I'm so excited to hear Greg's rating. But I think yeah, we should we should give ours first. Uh, set the stage. I, I'm going to give this uh, this well, let's, album. Let's let's go through it, what, we, talk, what we do one more time. Yeah, so you go up to 11. Uh, that's the highest you can rate is likes is uh, 11 likes is the highest. Nobody's received that yet. Mm-mm, um, mm-mm. So, uh, but for me, I'm going to get this album was instrumental in me getting into the music industry. Um, I remember. Everything about the album coming out, I was like, "Wow, this is exactly what I want to be doing," and uh, and I love the, the the songs. I love the songwriting, and I was a guitarist. I, I thought he was an amazing guitarist. I'm going to give it eight likes. Um, I'm also going to include uh, a red wine uh, emoji because, like you said, sitting back listening to wine, uh, guitar emoji because he's an amazing guitarist. People don't know, and also the uh, joystick because my only memory of John Mayer is. When I went backstage to my first rock and roll after party, and all they were doing was playing video games, and it ruined my <laughs> whole life. See, I think it's a bunch of shit. How can you only give it eight? Eight is the. I've, I've, I'm very tough. I've never given anyone above eight. Oh, he came close with the Counting Crows, uh, August, and everything. What did you give it? Ever. I gave that. Actually, I gave that nine. But that's that's that album is one of my greatest. Yeah, of my all favorite time. records too. So, <laughs> but but it's not. Everyone has a different rating system, Greg. Go ahead. What's your, what, Mike, what, Michael, what are you getting at? All right. A fantastic album. I've never, to be honest, the hand of God, never heard it all the way through. I, I, I listened to it a, a hundred times in my friend's cars, um, but never all the way through front to back and had so much uh, insight from it. I, I, you know what? I wish we could do this every single episode because it, it gives, it, it gives the album Backstory. a whole other dimension. Um, but yeah, down to the rating. I, I, I really like this album. The more I thought, I thought about it, it was so it was so Give clean. Give the rating, Michael. You're it was, stalling. It was so clean that I can't deny the musicianship. I gave it. Didn't reach Blink One Eighty Two heights, but nine and a half. Nine, nine and, and a half, half likes. Wow, nice. That's a high number likes. for you. I gave it. I gave it the Doris emoji for busting through the doors. Of course, the brown haired girl. Jennifer Love Hewitt, who we, who we mentioned oh, yeah. earlier. Always, uh, the emoji, yeah. I mean, and also any brown-haired girl, because you listen to this song and you think about, man, this would be a great song to put on on a date, right? I don't know, maybe just me. And, of course, the fire from the bonfire memories that I had in high school. Fire uh, emoji. The fire emoji. Greg, what are you giving this album? Dude, this is easy. It's 11. Are you kidding me? Yes. 11 across the, the board. The first yeah. 11 we've had on I, the podcast. I don't want to... But, by the way, I truly love this album and every song on it, so, like, I... Don't have. I mean, I'm being genuine. I could also put on top of that that you know, materially, this record made my life. Like sure. all my, mm-hmm. uh, like, like you know, my house, and we're like, hey, yes, this is nice the John Mayer wearing, house. Yeah. yeah, this is my you know John Mayer boat. So like we do, <laughs> do those things, and then like Pat from Train gets mad at me and says, "What about me?" I'm like, "Ah, uh, you, the pool." <laughs> so, but no, Just but the like pool, but but no, actually. Uh, no joke. Like I really love every song on this album. So it's a great I, album. I and, even and neon, you love even neon. neon yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yep. that's that's true love. It's like it's his baby. It is. How could you not love your baby? That's true. Um, I gotta ask before we, before we, we let you get out of here, and thank you again for your time. This is a this was a total pleasure, man. Yeah. When you're sitting in front of your students at Northwestern or wherever, and you're speaking to them. Does this never come up? The fact that you you created John Mayer. What are the, what are they saying to you in the in the classroom? I could never look at you the same way ever again. 
It depends because I, I I do sometimes pull rank and have artists come in. Like I've had Matt Carney come in surprise oh, nice. and play songs, wow. and um, Isaac Slade from the Fray just texted me while I'm talking. Oh, that's awesome. So it just depends. Like 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 I'll try to bring really cool people in and stuff. So and they and they get it, but I'm also their professor, so mm-hmm. it's kind of like you know what I mean. Like they're you're still not getting invited to the kegger. Yeah, it's still <laughs> it's just a different world. But um, but I I hopefully they respect that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, I don't know. It's so cool, Greg. And also, we want to definitely mention you have an amazing show coming out. Why don't you tell us more about this Aware uh, reunion show? Yeah, so we're doing a 25th uh, anniversary Aware record show at House of Blues on November 10th. Um, And it is Alice Peacock uh, opening. She's great. Yeah, she's great from Chicago. Um, We should play, actually, her single, John Mayer sang on, and it should have been a smash. It was close to being a massive hit. Um, and then it's Stir from St. Louis, who was my second band I ever signed, who went on my second year at Kellogg. I flipped that record to Capitol Records for a ton of money. It was my first big thing. Uh, then it's Brian from the Verve Pipe, who's from my hometown, my hometown of East Lansing. The drummer used to be my, uh, used to mow my lawn as a child. They still have stories about him and posters of him at Royal Oak Theater and, uh, which I just performed at last week. So Brian's a great guy. And then, uh, Matt, uh, the lead singer of Vertical Horizon, mm-hmm. who's a really close friend, and he wanted to come in and do it. And then Carrie and Jack from Jacko Pierce. Nice. And Isaac Slade is going to come do a couple songs from The Fray. From The Fray, yeah. And they're still, still trying to get a couple other people that are pretty big. Surprises. Yeah. And where can people find out more about this and uh, get tickets for it? Probably easy. Just go to House of Blues. HOB.com. Yeah, an aware show. And it'll, it'll you can go. Google anything aware show House of Blues and it'll come up. Awesome. Incredible. Awesome. Incredible. Well, Makes, that, that's our uh, that's our uh, episode of Room for Squares John Mayer for all you guys that were asking when we're gonna do John Mayer. We've done it now. We've done John Mayer, so please stop bothering us. You're not gonna come on and talk about it. That's right, and we've done it right. So if you want to reach out to us with any questions, comments, concerns that you have, you can reach us at two guys one album at gmail.com. That's the number two, that's the number one. You can find us on Twitter there too. Paul, where can they find you? Uh, Paul F Comedy is my site or uh, Paul F Comedy on Instagram, Facebook, all that's or no Paul Farvar on Instagram, whatever. Yep, and you can find me at Michaelheideman.com. You can find me at Michael Heideman uh, no Mike Heideman on Twitter, and you can listen to me uh, every night here at WGN. And Greg, where uh, where can people you you've you've tuned out? <laughs> you've tuned out. <laughs> no, on, I was trying uh, to see social, it, see no, no, no. I mean, in social media, oh. you've, you're no longer connected in the world. You're still on your MySpace page. <laughs> yeah, no, um, my friendster page. Um, <laughs> no, so you can find me on Instagram. You have an Instagram page. All right, but I. Love you. Go, go to Positive Pretzels. Oh yeah, Instagram, oh yeah. My new pretzel company that we're about to launch will be in Whole Foods all of Chicago starting in December. Awesome. Or all of Whole Foods Midwest actually, and then hopefully the rest of the country soon after. So Positive Pretzels, I probably prefer them to follow that way. <laughs> all right, and then and of course go to the Aware concert at H, uh, House of Blues. Get your tickets at hob.com. And that's a wrap on uh, two guys, one album. See you next week. <laughs>